0: Hear these words from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Will you please pray with me? Loving and eternal God, as we open your word and search the scriptures to hear and see you at work among your people, grant that we may hear clearly your call to each of us this day. Bless the words we share and the meditation of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'd like to follow up on John's remarks and preface the sermon with this. I am not a pastor who runs away with words. So you're all safe. When my granddaughters were quite little and first discovering that eyes were made for seeing and ears were made for hearing and tummies were made for stuffing with good food, they also became aware of the thumping and steady beating of their hearts. They were so fascinated by the sound that they would sometimes make me lean over and get close to them so I could hear the sound of their hearts beating. Shh, can you hear that? And then my job was to whisper a reply. Yes, I can hear that. And then they would grin and run off to play with something else that had grabbed their attention for the moment. There is much in our world vying for our attention. The same was true in the time of Esther. She lived in a culture quite similar to our own in that there were many competing ideologies and many voices Demanding to be heard. Yet in the book of Esther, there is one voice that is silent. God does not speak in the book of Esther, he is not even mentioned. In other Old Testament stories, God is a very vocal partner in human affairs. His voice often thunders against those who dispute his claim on his people and his judgments. He speaks directly with his prophets, but in the book of Esther, God is silent. Our conception of God is that if he is silent, he is absent. The good news for each of us this morning is that if God seems distant, silent, or not involved, he may be doing his most powerful work. When God seems nowhere to be found, when his voice does not thunder through our circumstances and bring immediate relief, when our prayers seem to crash against the ceiling of our limited possibilities, when? When God is silent, he is often speaking most loudly. God has promised never to abandon his people. He has not distanced himself from our lives. His work as sovereign Lord and gracious Redeemer may be worked out in ways we will look back on with astonishment and gratitude. We may not even come to understand some of the mysteries of God's grace this side of heaven. But when God seems silent, we need to turn our attention to his steady heartbeat of love, mercy, grace, and his desire to redeem all that is broken. Years ago, around the time of 9-11, a worship song came out with lyrics that might apply to each of us at any given time. Those lyrics were this, when you can't see God's hands, trust his heart. When you can't see God actively altering circumstances, Trust his heartbeat of mercy and love. Trust his wisdom above human understanding. Trust his sovereignty over all he has made. The good news is that God has your back. God is for you and not against you. That is the heartbeat of God. We only have to get close, bow down, and listen. Now that we've entered the season of Lent, Christmas seems a distant world away, doesn't it? Yet it was less than three months ago that we remembered and celebrated the coming of Jesus in a world certain that God's silence for 400 years meant that God had given up on his people. God, in that silence, was establishing a family tree that would bring about the birth of a Savior. God, in that silence, was in effect speaking loudly of a day that would come to bring peace to all people. But God did not stop there. On that wondrous night of nights when Jesus was born, God himself descended into human form. He became Emmanuel, God with us. He came not to lull us to sleep with empty words that enable us to escape reality, but to awaken us to his call to participate with him in this great adventure called life. The book of Esther testifies to a God who is never distant. The story of Esther is a story about our God who is present in all of life. The book of Esther is an earthy story. It's a story of real human struggle. God is silent, but God is there. The story of Esther is a story of courage, divine timing, accountability, and obedience that alters outcome. It is a story that dramatically portrays the essence of faith faith tried, tested, and victorious. It is a story that illustrates the need for resilience in the spiritual life. It is a story alive with meaning to us as 21st century disciples of Jesus. Someone once said, God loves us too much to let us stay the same. God speaks through his word and in our lives and in ways designed to change us. As we walk through this biblical narrative... We see his love that wakes us up to the reality of belonging, his mercy that wakes us up to our humanity and our need for community, his grace that wakes us up to hope that denies the power of despair, his redemption that wakes us up to his message of salvation. All that and more can be found in the story of Esther. But the book is more than an ancient text. In fact, the story of Esther has all the makings of a contemporary novel. There's a villain, a hero, a heroine, conspiracies, dramatic encounters, and stunning reversals. From a literary standpoint, the book of Esther is a story that stands apart from the writings of that era. In a region filled with idol worship, the story of Esther testifies to the supremacy of the one true God, the Sovereign Lord, a God who has chosen a little band of wanderers as his followers. The historical setting of the story comes after the Babylonian exile, in which the Jews were taken from their land to live in captivity under oppressive Assyrian rule. Following the exile came the diaspora, the scattering, When God's people moved freely about the land, some even returning to the area around Jerusalem and others settling in the land where they had been exiled. Not only had the Jews been freed from oppressive rule and were no longer treated like chattel, there also came a time when Persian kings bestowed numerous favors upon their Jewish subjects. Jews were allowed to integrate with Persian society, even to the extent of holding responsible positions within the empire. Some, like Esther and Mordecai, assumed Persian names. No doubt, though, there were also some self-protection efforts on the part of the Persians for the favors granted to the Jews, because bolstering friendships with one's subjects led to a stronger military presence and more secure borders. So when neighboring countries, unfriendly to the Jews, started circulating rumors that the Jews were disloyal to their Persian rulers, Haman, an enemy of the Jews himself, set out with a plot to destroy the Jews. But before Haman's plot to annihilate the Jews comes into play, there's plenty of other drama to be found in the royal court. A quick retelling of the story goes like this. Queen Vashti has been banished for failing to come when the king summoned her. Esther, a Jewish woman living in Persia and reared by her cousin Mordecai, is taken to the king to become a part of the king's harem. Mordecai makes Esther promise to conceal her Jewish heritage. Esther's beauty and finesse wins the favor of the king. Esther becomes the new queen. Mordecai, keeping a close eye on Esther from a distance, uncovers a conspiracy by two of the king's officers to assassinate the king. Esther reveals the plot to the king, giving credit to Mordecai, and when the plot is investigated and found to be true, the two officers are hanged. All this happens before Chapter 3 of the Book of Esther. When we read on, Haman has, by this time, been elevated to a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles, and we wonder why. Scripture doesn't give us the details we crave, except to say that all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down before Haman and paid honor to him by command of the king. Mordecai, however, refused. Haman could have had Mordecai hanged for such disobedience, but instead looked for an opportunity to destroy all the Jews living in the kingdom. Haman convinced the king that it was in the king's best interest to destroy all those throughout the kingdom, the Jews, who lived according to different customs and did not obey all the king's laws. Edicts were written and couriers sent to all the provinces with the order to kill all the Jews on the 13th day of the 12th month. Esther learns of the planned genocide through a series of messages sent from Mordecai, who has draped himself in sackcloth and ashes and is wailing bitterly in the city streets. Yet we hear no mention of God at work comforting Mordecai Or bringing about a reversal of circumstances. Of all the Jews, only Esther had access to the king. Yet the king had not requested Esther's presence, and to approach the king without a summons would mean death. Mordecai didn't mince words. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this? Those are powerful words. But what could Esther do? Her only task in life was to look beautiful and please the king. She had no other reason for existence. But God's silence was about to be broken, He had a plan. And Esther's royal position was part of that divine plan. God's plan brought Esther face to face with a choice that would not only alter her own circumstances, but would impact the destiny of her people. To go to the king was against the law and tantamount to a death wish. To deny her Jewish heritage in the light of an edict to kill her people That was unthinkable. The choice was made. I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther could have chosen to protect her status with the king. She could have prayed that God would save her people without her involvement. She could have prayed that God would spare her. She could have denied the reports of the impending genocide. She did none of that. She listened to godly counsel and stepped out in faith, choosing courage over immediate comfort. When God calls us out of our comfort zone, we don't always know the outcome. Esther's actions on behalf of her people ultimately saved the Jews from genocide. But the reality is that Esther didn't know what would happen. But God was there and working. And through Esther, he brought life to others. Esther's choice set into motion divine intervention. We make choices every day. Some are routine, some are difficult, some are life-changing. God has placed each of us in places of influence, in our homes, our workplaces, our community. Like Esther, we can choose to listen to the godly voices around us. And sometimes it may mean putting aside our own plans and stepping out of our comfort zone. In times of distress, loss, grief, and pain, it may mean trusting that God is with us in the silence, trusting that he is closer than ever and is working in ways that will astound us, for God is always creating. God's kingdom is expansive and always on the move. His desire is that all will hear and respond to his heartbeat of love and grace. May we have the courage to pray, Lord, show me what you are doing and how I can be a part of it. For we may have been born for such a time as this. Amen.